Welcome to Mets 360 here on Cast. Now, if that sounds a little different to you, it's because for the past, I don't know, 10 years, we've been with Blog Talk Radio. And now, um, because of circumstances beyond our control, we're with Cast. So this is a, a new format for us, so I, I hope it works well. But the first guest here in our new format is uh, someone who's been on the show probably more than anyone, and that's our uh, minor league expert, David Groveman. David, thanks for joining us. Not a problem, Brian. I think being on the show more than anyone just means I'm old. <laughs> right there with you, buddy. All right, well, um, something that I think that we're both in favor of is that the Mets uh, finally cut ties with Adrian Gonzalez and called up Dominic Smith to the majors, but we didn't see the other shoe drop, and that was uh, Peter Alonso uh, didn't get promoted at least right away to uh, Las Vegas to take Smith's place. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, Alonso was still in Binghamton while Smith was uh, making his 2018 debut in the majors. Any thoughts as to uh, what's going on here, and when do you expect to, to see him with the 51s? So um, I want to I wanna first say that Adrian Gonzalez did exceed my expectations, but the Mets weren't going anywhere with Adrian Gonzalez, so I'm glad that they did what they did, and I hope that Dominic Smith proves something. In terms of Peter Alonso and when he's going to go up to AAA, I think the Mets were wise not to promote him right now. He is in the midst of a slump. It's not the worst slump I've ever seen. He's hitting the ball. He is getting on base, he's walking a lot more, but he isn't hitting the ball with the, the regularity that he was earlier in the year. So I would like to see him start turning it on in AA before he gets the promotion to AAA, where we know that the numbers are inflated. So I think that giving him that, that chance to work himself out of whatever slump he's in is really, it's a lesson that he has to learn along the way to the majors. See now, I, I have to disagree with you. I'm, I don't think that there's anything anything really left for Alonzo to learn in in Double A. I think we need to get him moving, and I think that we fall too often in the trap of uh, saying that uh, these guys have to excel over an extended period of time, or have to taste failure, or um, I don't know. Um, it, it seems like this pendulum has swung from being really far in one direction and really far into the other. And what I mean by that is previously we had the Omar Minaya, Tony Bernazard uh, regime, which really, really aggressively pushed their prospects. And now we're, we're seemingly on the other end of that, where every prospect has to beat down the door and then kick it while it's down in, in order to get a chance at the, at the next level. And I'd just like to see the, the, the Mets, uh, when, when they've seen that a guy has succeeded for uh, a while at a level, move up. And, and I think that uh, Alonzo uh, did well in his brief cup of coffee last year in, in AA, and then this year in AA, he... He was the only guy hitting there for a long time, and, and there's not just a lot of hitters in that double-A lineup. And, you know, if, if the other teams are pitching around him, they're pitching around him. Like you noticed, his uh, his walk rate is still very good. Um, I, I don't think there's anything anything left for him to to succeed and, and prove at double-A. I want to I see him in, in Las Vegas uh, yesterday. I would just like him to probably get one or two good games back under his belt and prove that 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 he's moving forward in the right direction because I mean there's been a while since he's had a two-hit game 
So even one or two two-hit games in a row, then a promotion to AAA is all I'm looking for. Now, shifting gears to much lower in the system, um, the Dominican Summer League has started play, and we've seen some of the uh, Mets' top international free agent signings playing in there. I'm thinking of uh, Adrian Hernandez and Stanley, I'm going to massacre his last name, I apologize in advance, Stanley Consaguera. Uh, I think they've shown up for the the two Dominican teams, but their top international free agent signing, Ronnie Mauricio, he's nowhere to be found. And I think I read somewhere that uh, they're going to start him in the Gulf Coast League. So uh, are you, like me, surprised by that? I'm a little bit surprised by it, but I think this this is this is counter to, to the argument of the Mets are, are, are being too... Uh, slow with promotions. This is a, a player that they're moving up into the stateside leagues earlier, but I think based upon how much money they gave Ronnie Mauricio, there's this idea that they are expecting him to be able to produce a little bit sooner than your typical international free agent. So I don't think that the Gulf Coast League is completely out of the ballpark of where I expected him to go. I thought that it was aggressive. I like it. Um, but we'll see if it works out because he could go to the Gulf Coast League, struggle, and it could be a huge mistake. We'll see. Now, we've seen some aggressive promotions before. We saw that um, with uh, Andres Jimenez, he spent, I think it was one year in the DSL, and then they skipped him immediately to a full season league. And he held his own last year in the Sally, and then we see him really doing well this year in St. Lucie. So. Um, like you say, it, it's not completely unheard of them for the Mets organization to be aggressive with some of their lower-level prospects. I think we maybe run into the, the problem a little higher up the food chain. Yeah. Now, uh, the flip side of that is uh, a guy who uh, was uh, born in this country and had great success in the short-season league last year, and that's Mark Vientos. He started off in the Gulf and then uh, got a... Uh, a late season promotion to uh, Kingsport in the Appy and uh, I thought the question was going to be was he going to be in in short season Brooklyn or full season Columbia this year but uh, I think I read where he's going to be back in Kingsport to start 2018. Um, any thoughts to why that assignment played out the way that it did? Well I think Vientos didn't start quickly last year, but I, I can't really say why the Mets wouldn't have put him at least in Brooklyn. I expected him to play in Brooklyn to almost headline on the offense for the Brooklyn team. Uh, my only guess is that the Mets wanted to spare him Brooklyn, which is not an easy ballpark to hit in by the numbers that we see year to year. Um, I don't know that that's the case. I can't really explain why he's not in Brooklyn. Um, I think it made more sense for him not to, to start in, in uh, Columbia. I think that made sense. But for him to repeat Kingsport seems like a waste. I think that he will probably end up in Brooklyn by the end of the year. Now, you mentioned what a, a tough offensive ballpark it is uh, there in Brooklyn. But the flip side of that is the Mets usually bend over backwards to have their, their best players um, from the, the the short season perspective being in Brooklyn. I think they, they would much prefer to have a, a good team in Brooklyn than having a, a, good, a good team in Kingsport. 
and I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit too aggressive on what I think of Vientos, but I'm, I'm just real surprised when everything that we know that they, they put him back in Kingsport. Yeah, I agree that, that it, it, it is surprising, and I think that the Mets do try and load up that Brooklyn team. I don't really know with Vientos not going there. I don't know who they're putting there as sort of those headline players. Uh, obviously, you could, you could see the number one draft pick uh, wind up there, but that would be aggressive for him too, because he's he's a prep school kid. He's not a college kid, so I'm not really sure what the Mets had in mind. But perhaps they were putting player development ahead of marketing for a change, which would be a nice thing to see. Oh, I'm not holding my breath on that one. All right, well let's uh, switch uh, switch gears here a little bit, and then uh, last year at the uh, deadline or right around the deadline, the Mets had a bunch of impending free agents that they ended up trading away, uh, mostly to get salary relief, but they also got uh, seven righty relievers uh, in those various deals, and all seven of those have pitched for the Mets and the minors this year. Two of them have actually pitched in the majors too, as they've ridden the shuttle back and forth between uh, Vegas and Queens. Uh, which one of those sevens do you think will make the biggest impact long-term for the Mets? Biggest impact long-term is hard to say because there's a couple of guys who are talented. They have good stuff who I could see them becoming uh, higher leverage relief pitchers uh, at the back of the uh, bullpen. The player that in my gut I'm, I'm liking the most right now is Nagashek or Nagasek. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but I still happen to really like Jacob Ram, and we've seen him in the majors. I know he hasn't always produced well this year, but I think growing pains are to be expected in a player, and he was the most polished, I felt, when, when the players came over, and I think he still has the potential to be probably the highest impact of them. Now, what little we saw of him last year, and I think we've seen the same thing in his brief appearances in the majors is the fastball is is good there's nothing wrong with the fastball he throws like 96 97 miles an hour but whenever he goes to his off-speed pitches he gets beat up a little bit and I don't know what the answer to that is and is is he good enough to throw the fastball 90 percent of the time uh, I don't know but uh, either either the off-speed pitches have to get better for him or um, or he's going to have to go to a much, much heavier mix uh, throwing his fastball. Now, I want to ask you about one of these seven guys, because I didn't really know very much about him, just because I don't think he played in the Mets system last year. But he's been doing rather well this year, and that's uh, Eric Hanhold, who I believe they got from the Brewers in the, the Neil Walker trade. Um, any insight into Eric Hanhold, who I think just got uh, a promotion um, last week, 10 days, uh, to AAA? Um, Hanhold, there's, he, he, uh, he's been in AAA for, for only a little bit of time, and, and he's having those AAA growing pains because it's, it's not an easy league. Um, but he was very successful in double A. I like the, uh, the strikeout rate. He has a, above a, a K9 of, of 9.0, which is what you look for in a relief pitcher. And he kept his whip low, which, you know, those are the two golden stats right there. I think that he's still someone who I, I, I like his age in that, in that lineup of the seven players. I like his age and development at this point. 
but I don't necessarily know if that's going to translate in the majors. I would like to see him pitch live. Unfortunately, I'm not that close to Las Vegas to go out and, and, and do a live scouting, but I would really like to see what his pitches look like coming out of his hand. Now, one of the two guys that the Mets have used in the majors so far is Hersan Bautista. Gerson. Gerson. I've heard it pronounced three different ways, and I don't remember which one's right, so forgive me, Mr. Bautista. But anyway, big calling card with Bautista is he throws 100 miles an hour, but it might be the most hittable 100-mile-per-hour pitch that there is. And he hasn't really had a whole lot of success in the majors, and he hasn't really had a whole lot of success in AAA. And I'm just wondering why they keep giving him a shot. And I mean, I guess part of it is because he had to be put onto the 40-man roster. He's on the 40-man roster, so it's easy to promote him. But, um, gee, it, it, it's tough to really like what I've seen so far from him. Yeah. What do you think? I think they promoted him way too early. I think that that got him a little bit confused. Um, I would have liked to see him pitch farther into double A because he was off to a decent start before that promotion and then seems to have completely derailed him mentally. I would like the Mets to have him go back to double A to sort of refine himself. You know, we know that he has the, the power in his pitch, but power is not going to make him a successful pitcher at the major league level. Just throwing 100 miles an hour doesn't make you, you know, successful at the highest level of baseball. That's, that's just a fact. Speaking of promotions, the Mets recently promoted uh, Justin Dunn to double-A and David Peterson to high-A. And these two guys were the Mets' uh, first-round picks in 2016 and 2017. Are you happy with the progress that uh, those high draft picks have made to date? And uh, do you have any projection on when you think that uh, they'll arrive in the majors? So, uh, David Peterson, um, the Mets were a little bit more cautious than they typically have been. They started him in Columbia. But in Columbia, he pitched phenomenally. So, he has not hit any sort of bump in the road. Things look pretty good for him moving forward. Justin Dunn, last season was pretty terrible. He, he struggled mightily in Port St. Lucie. So the fact that he was able to come back this year, reclaim that prospect status with, with some strong outings there, and he's already looked good in his first outing in double-A. Um, I'm really impressed by Justin Dunn's season because part of me, based on that season last year where he was put into the bullpen, brought back into the rotation, back to the bullpen, I was, I was really down on Dunn. So... If I'm talking about their progress this year, Dunn is the more impressive of the two stories, uh, although Peterson right now has likely got the, uh, the higher drafts, uh, prospect stock. Uh, you're looking for when they're going to get to the majors? <laughs> um, I think the earliest you're going to see Dunn in the majors, if he's on the Mets when he reaches the majors, is probably uh, end of 2019, but more likely 2020. Now, Dunn joined the Mets after pitching uh, for Boston College in a, in, a, in a pretty good conference, but the the issue was that he w really only had a, an outstanding junior season, and he didn't have a whole lot of experience as a starter. And you compare that to Peterson, who was used as a, a starter throughout his uh, his time in college, and I feel like 
maybe the Mets held Peterson back because um, of their experience with Dunn the year before. I mean, I think if Dunn had, had fared a little bit better, maybe Peterson would have been at a higher level to start with. Maybe he would have been in St. Lucie to start the year. But you have another theory as to why perhaps um, Peterson started where he did. Well, I, I had suggested early on that the Mets might have been um, allowing Anthony Kay, who is uh, one of the higher draft picks of recent years but has been uh, mired in injuries, sort of the way Steven Matz was. Uh, and they had him coming back and starting in Columbia, and I had thought that maybe because the, the Mets had these, uh, these two prospects, um, I believe both lefties, they, they might want to put them in the same level so they could sort of learn from each other and grow with each other. I think that, that that's, of my theories, that's a bit of a stretch. I think it is more likely your theory that Justin Dunn uh, made the Mets gun shy with Peterson. But, um, you know, the, the good news is that David Peterson succeeded in Columbia and is in uh, Port St. Lucie to end the year. Now, Dunn's first uh, appearance in Double in A went very well uh didn't give up a run in in seven innings and and struck out 10 but it seemed like maybe one of the old bugaboos was back because he gave up a whole lot of walks um didn't give up many hits so his his whip for that one outing still looked good but it's got to be at least a little bit of a concern with all of the walks that he gave up in that first outing it is concerning to see him give up that many walks i think what you saw in that game was also uh, the opposing double-A manager probably telling the team to to try and get a good look at this kid because they haven't necessarily seen him before. So forcing Dunn to go farther into an e- each at-bat and, and sort of work. They weren't swinging at, at, at everything he was offering, so he, he got through seven innings striking out 10 and, and walking four that means he threw quite a few pitches to get through those seven innings I think I'm still more impressed than concerned with that outing all right well um, let's uh, let's move on to the the next topic and you've been um, one of the most vocal advocates for the Mets to acquire JT Realmuto uh, from the Marlins and uh, I want to know do you still feel that way today with uh, the, the, the way that the Mets have been falling here recently, plus the fact that they have uh, Devin Mezzarocco, uh on the team and Ploiecki is back from the DL. And if you do still feel that way, what, what do you think it would take today to acquire him from the Marlins? Well, I think that Mezzarocco and Ploiecki are still much better as, as secondary guys. And I think that the Mets... You know, they were hoping with Darno that you were going to get a starting catcher who could be an offensive force on the team, a guy that, that pitchers worried about getting out. And it's not to say he wasn't successful offensively because he was a pretty good offensive catcher on those rare occasions when he was healthy enough to play. But the Mets have been without that, that really that strong presence from that position in their lineup for a very long time. I think that Real Muto is a player that his availability is is not something that's going to come around that often. The combination of his age and the fact that you get another year after this makes him pretty uh, appetizing. As as even if the Mets are not going to 
go into the playoffs this year, which it appears from all likelihood that they're not, I think that he's a player that helps them for the future in ways that, that they really can't overlook. Uh, and in terms of what they would need to do to get him, that is, that is something I've, I've listened to a lot of uh, sports talk radio and heard a lot of fans talking about what it would take to get him. I've heard packages as high as Ahmed Rosario and, and other players going, going for him. I think it was Ahmed Rosario, Zach Wheeler, and, and someone else. Oh, and, and Nimmo, which is uh, pretty absurd, I think, in terms of an overpayment. Um, but the real question is what the Marlins would want from the Mets because the Marlins are a young team. They're a, a team that needs to stay under a certain salary. So a player like Zach Wheeler doesn't necessarily appeal to them because he's a player who, you know, they're already paying him money. He's struggled. He's had issues with health. He's not a guy that they really have that much uh, need for. They want people who are less far along. And the two players that I think really appeal to the Marlins the most in the Mets system are Justin Dunn, who has reclaimed that prospect status and has gone up to double-A. So that is, that is a prospect with some higher ceiling that isn't that far from the majors. And then the player that I think they'd really want from the Mets is Seth Lugo, who has really had a fantastic year. He's been good for the Mets for the past couple of years, but I think that if, if the Marlins were going to look at a pitcher on the Mets rotation right now and say, we want that guy, I would be shocked if it wasn't Lugo. Um, and then beyond that, I think that the Mets would have to, to take on some of the salary players that the Marlins just want to get rid of. I don't know if it's the right move for the Mets to make, given that the season is, is more or less uh, slipped away. But I think that uh, to say that the Mets don't have the players to get Real Muto, I think, is wrong. I think you're absolutely right in that the position that the Marlins would be focusing on, looking at, would be pitcher. Uh, if they'd want somebody who was uh, already in the majors performing like a Lugo, I don't know, but he would certainly be uh, an interesting guy for any team to, to acquire. Uh, it's just that the, the Marlins may be looking for uh, somebody a, a, lit, a bit further down the road, somebody to, to team up with uh, uh, Justin Dunn in a, in a potential starting mix down the road. But interesting idea that uh, Lugo would be the, the one that they're targeting. Personally, I don't think that uh, the Mets are, are in the market for a catcher right now. Uh, I don't think that uh, with the, the way they've been playing lately, as much as they could use the offensive bump that Real Muto would give them, uh, it's just not something that I see them doing. Yeah, I don't think that they will do it, but I just look at what we would have for next season and the holes that we'd have, and the hole at catcher remains. And if we're not going to actively do something to fill that, we don't have someone who is ready to come up and take that, that lead role. We would be hoping that Darno comes back healthy and trying to roll out Darno and Ploiecki again. That's, that's the reality of what the Mets would be doing. All right, well, let's continue to talk about catchers, but let's uh, switch the focus back to the Mets and, uh, and the minor leagues. And, and first, let's talk about uh, Thomas Nito, Tomas Nito. Uh, he got a chance, uh, didn't really overwhelm, but maybe he wasn't quite ready for the chance. Um, do you think he was uh, rushed? Do you think there's more than what we've seen, or do you think he's destined to be uh, a career backup at the major league level? I think that uh, Nito 
really projects in my mind to be like a Kevin Ploiecki. I think that he will need more time to get there. I think that he he will be on that cusp in between, because that's where I see Ploiecki, in that cusp between you are a bona fide major league starter and you're a major league backup, because I think Ploiecki's a little bit better hitter than your typical backup, but I don't think he's necessarily that guy that you really want as your starter. So I see that sort of as the ceiling for Nito right now. I don't know, based upon the Mets bringing him up and where he is in his development, if he will develop into that, but that is still my hope for him. All right, well, let's talk now about a guy that I know you've been very uh, bullish on in the past, and that's Patrick Mazika. Uh, what what do you think of his struggles so far this year? He, he has had a down season, especially for um, the numbers that we've seen from him in previous years. Uh, he has been a player that goes into slumps for, for fairly extended times, um, but he, he has in pre- previous years always broken out of that and hit enough to, to always have a decent batting average at the very least. I still have hope that he will be able to do that. I think the fact that the Mets have left him in A gives him a chance to do that, but I don't, I don't really know if that's likely, and you know, I'm not going to give up on the guy. I still like him a lot. Um, but I, I, I know from the, the, the real side, the, the brain, not the heart, knows that his time to prove, it, to prove himself was really this year, and he's not done that. It's going to be awfully lonely on that Patrick Mazika bandwagon without you. Uh, well, I'm still on the bandwagon because <laughs> I, still, I still like him a lot. But uh, it's it's uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a lonely ride for me, and I don't know how much longer I can ride it out. All right. Well, um, I guess uh, somewhat along in that same vein, um, let's talk about just um, state of the Mets prospects here right now, here in uh, mid June. Um, has has anybody dropped completely from your radar here in 2018? I don't know if I can say he's dropped completely off my radar because I do check in on on him regularly but I've been very unimpressed with David Thompson he's in AAA I expected him to hit more than he is and like when you are a hitting player when you are a hit first player you cannot afford to hit a 708 OPS in AAA Las Vegas you need to do better than that if you are going to be a player that develops into a major league player um I do, you know, like the fact that he he's struck out less, but um, he's been hurt since since the 29th of April. So maybe he'll come back and, and be healthy and, and uh, successful again. But I don't know if that's that's going to be likely. I, I really wanted more from him. The guy who completely dropped off my radar this year is uh, Wilmer Becerra. And maybe I was being naive still having him on my radar, but I was hoping he would be the type of guy who'd go to double A and, and some some prospects go to double A and just absolutely rake, especially in their home ballpark um, in Binghamton. And not only has that not happened for Becerra, he's found himself busted all the way back to low A, and he's not doing anything there either. I think he's hitting an empty 250. Yeah, I think he so, has like a 540 OPS. It's, he's he's yeah, doing bad. It, it, it's, it's just downright ugly. So I, I, if, I might have been the last one holding out hope, but uh, I, I think I'm even jumping off that particular bandwagon. 
All right, well, how about the flip side of, of that question? Has anyone jumped into prospect status for you? Uh, I don't, like, I want to call him a prospect. Uh, he's had such a good year. Jeff McNeil, who um, spent the last two years uh, injured for various uh, lengths of time, he has been so phenomenal for AA that you, you can't believe those numbers are real. But when you have a second baseman, and I think he plays a, sort of a, a number of positions at this point between second base, third base, and the outfield, but um, he's, he's slugging 639. He's, he's hitting 332. He's really just finally healthy and in double-A, destroying the baseball. And uh, I want him to be for real. Uh, I don't think he can be that much for real, but I think I think you have to at least give out hope that, that this is definitely a guy who will have a future on a major league roster. For me, the player who's really jumped up and made me take notice is Ryder Ryan, one of the seven relievers that they got last year at the deadline. Um, was concerned about his age and, and where he was, but this is a guy who started out as a position player, came to pitching very late, and uh, he started the year in, in high A and, and did extremely well and, and got the call to Binghamton and uh, has uh, more than held his own in five games there. And uh, uh, even for a guy who, who hasn't pitched very much, I mean, he, he seems to have better command, uh, better control than guys who've been, been pitching all along. And he's got the, the big power arm because all these guys that they traded for all throw 95 or more. But he's got, he's got the gas. He's got command. He's handling higher levels. And while he's maybe a little older than you prefer, 23 in AA, nothing wrong with 23 that. 23 in AA so, is back where he's, he belongs uh, development-wise. You're, you're, you're right on on that. I, I like that a lot as a pick. All right, well, I think that uh, one thing that, that I wanted to, to cover be, before we ended here was um, the 2018 draft. And in, in what was uh, at least a little bit of a, a curious pick, uh, all things considering, is that uh, the Mets didn't look for somebody uh, to help immediately. Instead, they went and uh, picked a, a prep outfielder with their high pick. They were picking sixth overall. And uh, they picked uh, Jared Kelnick, who uh, I believe was uh, a pretty solid pick for uh, for the spot. Just just a little bit uh, uh, caught off guard, I guess, that they went Prepster in in, in that regard. So uh, they kept true to their board. So that's something that that I really like. And the fact that they didn't panic and and overdraft to try to get uh, a college outfielder to come help you know, this year or next, I think is a good thing too. Uh, any thoughts about uh, Kelnick? I'm, I'm always uh, having, having uh, cut my teeth on the Alex Escobar lastings millage era of Met prospects. I'm always terrified of these five tool prospects because um, they seem to, to, to flame out more than, than everyone else. But I know that's, that's, that's not, can't be statistically true. It just feels that way. So um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Mets were correct in this. All the scouting that I've read looks like he is a, a truly good player. The, uh, the things that, that worry me about this pick is he's another uh, player who the Mets have taken who's from a, a northern climate. Um, he's from, I believe, uh, Wisconsin, I want to say. Yep. 
And the Mets last did that with Brandon Nimmo. And it took Nimmo a while to really flourish. And it wasn't until this year that he broke out to any real degree. So my worry is that we're not only taking a younger player who's going to take some time to develop, but we're taking a player who could take a substantial period of time to develop. Well, hopefully Kelnick doesn't run into the injury problems that uh, helped stall Nimmo's progress up the, the ladder, but uh, your point is well taken. Well, David, uh, thanks so much for joining us here on the uh, debut uh, issue of the, the podcast here on CAST. Um, uh, I, I look forward to having you back on and, and talk prospects again. Uh, let's uh, try to get you back on uh, after we see some of these uh, short season league guys for a little that bit. That would be fantastic. All right. Well, everybody, please tune in uh, again. Uh, gee, I don't, I don't know if we'll be on a weekly schedule here. We'll we'll pump it out on, on social media, and, and hopefully we'll be available in all the places where you normally get your podcasts. Well, that's all for us tonight. Good night, night. and goodbye. <laughs>